Tanisan and the Mystery of Cedar Lodge. It was something of a tradition that in late October, Tanisan and friends would travel up to the eastern part of Toyama to attend the Kanekawa Cake Festival, which was held over a weekend. An important part of this annual ritual was that they always stayed at the same place, Cedar Lodge, a tiny inn with a cosy atmosphere, delicious food, and its own private hot spring, all nicely tucked away in the foothills of the Hida Mountains. It had five rooms, four on the ground floor and one on the first, and it was run by a very polite lady called Mrs Sada, who always wore a kimono and glided along the lonely wooden corridors as if she were on rollers. She seemed to enjoy making people jump. Whenever they went there, Tanisan insisted on staying in room four, because it had the biggest TV, the most comfortable bed and the nicest bathroom. That said, what made it super special was that it also had its own little garden, where you could sit and reflect on your undoubted good fortune. Or, failing that, the misfortunes of others. Tanisan always made a point of booking it in advance. But then one particular year, they were checking in slightly later than usual, only to find that there had been a mistake in the room allocations. Mrs Hara, the housekeeper, had accidentally put a certain Mrs Kubo in room four, and she was apparently settled there. But really, Mrs Tanny, said the proprietor, room five is every bit as good, and there's a lovely view of the waterfall from the balcony. Unusually, Tanisan opted for the diplomatic approach on this occasion. Rather than getting into a contretemps with Mrs Sadder and potentially souring a long-standing relationship, she decided to deal with the matter herself. So while, on the face of it, she agreed to move into the room upstairs, she began making her own plans to the contrary. Later that evening, she managed to contrive a meeting with this Mrs Kubo at the inn's delightful hot spring. Tanisan noticed her heading out there on the way back from dinner, so she quickly got changed and joined her at the poolside. Isn't it lovely here, she said, making sure to sit just a little bit too close to the obstacle to her happiness. And will you take a look at those majestic cedar trees? I've never seen such a rich sweeping panoply of autumnal splendour. Well, yes, agreed the sensitive Mrs Kubo, shuffling quietly to one side. As panoplies go, I, I think I can say without fear or favour that you'd have to go a very long way indeed to surpass it for its russety qualities. Don't you find, she said, that it brings to mind the words of the great poet Kobayashi Issa? Of course, said Tanisan, who had no idea what she was talking about. So then Mrs Kubo sat up straight, peered wistfully into the middle distance and began to recite. In September, the sky wears... A lined kimono. Quite, said Tanisan, caught out by the abrupt ending. And what about those rooms, eh? Aren't they great? I've got a balcony in mine with a superb view of the waterfall. And it's got a giant TV. At this, Mrs Kubo gave a knowing smile, as if she had some special secret. I've got my own private garden, she confessed. No, said Tanisan. Which room is that? Four, said Mrs Kubo, on the ground floor at the end of the corridor. At this, Tanisan did her best to portray thinly veiled alarm, like the villagers in horror movies when the naive Victorian traveller comes marching into the tavern and starts asking all sorts of awkward questions about the local castle. Oh, she said, there. 
This set the alarm bells ringing in poor Mrs Kubo's head, just as it was meant to. Why? she asked, peering through the steam at her tormentor. What's wrong with it? Oh, nothing, said Tanisan. I'm sure it's fine. All the same, a highly strung companion went straight from surprise to consternation without even a passing glance at disquiet. So there is something, she said. What is it? You must tell me. Oh, it's nothing really, shrugged Tanisan. You know how these things start. People disappear under very mysterious circumstances and before you know it, everyone's talking about murder. I wouldn't take it seriously if I were you. Murder? said the alarmed Mrs Kubo, sitting bolt upright. No, no, not murder, said Tanisan. Of course not murder. Kidnapping, perhaps. Involuntary manslaughter at the very most. All I know is that guests have been disappearing from your room on a regular basis and nobody wants to talk about it. I wouldn't have known myself if the housekeeper hadn't let it slip. Oh, my goodness, said Mrs Kubo, utterly aghast. That's awful. Tanisan gave a shrug. I wouldn't let it spoil your holiday, she said. Rumours like that have a way of assuming their own reality. That doesn't mean that they're true, necessarily. Yet in spite of Tanisan's so-called reassurances, Mrs Kubo was disturbed by the idea of previous guests having snuffed it in the very room that she now occupied. Well, I'm glad you told me anyway, she said, pulling her towel around her. Thank you very much, Mrs Tanny. I'm much obliged to you. Needless to say, she was gone by nine, clearing the way for Tanisan, who then slipped swiftly, smoothly, and without so much as a wobble, conscience-wise, into her chubby predecessor's complimentary bathrobe and slippers, safe in the knowledge that the annual October break was back on track and the scoffing of many cakes could now begin. The following autumn, when it was once again time to make the pilgrimage up north to partake of all things sweet and sticky, Tanisan was pleased to find that there were none of the previous year's booking difficulties. For some reason, they'd been having a very poor time of it at Cedar Lodge. A quieter-than-usual winter season had been followed by a gradual tailing off of business during the summer months. As Mrs Sadder explained to them while they were checking in, this was the first time they'd had a full house since New Year. For apart from Tanisan and co, there was a Mr Mioga staying in the room upstairs. It was only later, as they were settling in, that Tanisan and Mrs Ishihama got the full story from Mrs Hara, who had popped by with some extra towels. Well, she explained, it all started at the end of last year, when stories began to appear on the internet about people disappearing from this very room. There was even talk of murder. Now, believe it or not, there was a brief moment when Tanisan was actually taken in by this. But then she remembered what she'd said to Mrs Kubo the year before and gave a laugh. Oh, that, she said. It was just a joke. I... Suddenly she stopped herself. Yes, prompted Mrs Harrow. Nothing, said Tanisan. You were about to say something. No, said Tanisan. I thought you were talking about one thing, then I realised it was something else. Carry on. Eager to change the subject, she then invited the housekeeper to sit down and give them a full account of what had happened. So the old lady put down her stack of towels and perched herself on the edge of the bed. Well, she said, it was all a lot of nonsense, really. But the more we denied it, the more the stories seemed to stick. People began to think that Mrs Sadder and I were involved in a cover-up of some sort. It was ridiculous. We even had sightseers coming by at all times of the day and night. 
which wasn't at all popular with our regulars, I can tell you. With one bony finger, she then directed their attention to the rearranged furniture, the new cushions, and the large wooden cabinet that stood in the corner facing the door. As you can see, she said, I've made a few changes since your last visit. I even decided to have a go at Feng Shui in the hope that it would create some sort of positive energy in here. It all sounds a bit desperate, I know, but having you ladies here makes me feel that our luck is about to change. And now, if you'll excuse me, she said, I have a few more jobs to do. They watched her as she picked up the pile of towels and began making her way towards the bathroom. But then something odd happened. There was a small blue mat in front of the bathroom entrance. Mrs Harris stopped when she reached it and looked down at something on the wooden floor. Then with one foot, she slid the mat forward so that it covered whatever it was. As soon as she'd gone, Tanisan and Mrs Ish rushed over to examine the spot. Underneath the mat, there was a stain. To Tanisan, it looked suspiciously like dried blood. That is definitely not dried blood, she insisted, as if saying it would make it so. So if anyone says anything, there's nothing wrong with room four and there are no bloodstains. Got it? Got it, nodded Mrs Ish. No bloodstains, arterial spray or spatter patterns of any kind, she said. Not a drip in sight. Yes, said Tanisan, eyeing her sardonically. Well, I wouldn't go that far. And she left it at that. Throughout that afternoon, the weather had been going steadily downhill, and by seven o'clock in the evening, the wind was picking up. Tanisan could hear it howling around the gables as she sat in the bathtub after dinner, wearing nothing but an enormous beige shower cap that was perched on top of her head like a meat and potato pie. The wind's mournful melody had put her in a fearful mood, and she was thinking about that stain again. Why had the housekeeper tried to cover it, she wondered, and why was there still so much interest in her room? It couldn't all be because of what she'd said to Mrs Kubo, surely. There had to be more to it. All at once, a terrific flash of lightning lit up the room, followed by a clap of thunder that was so loud it shook the very window frames. Then every single light across the hotel suddenly went out. In a fit of panic, Tanisan jumped straight out of the bath, went flying out into the corridor and dashed straight into room three, slamming the door shut behind her. This was Mrs Ishihama's room, the smallest room in the house. A room so small that if you happened to lose the key while you were in there, it would always turn up in the same place for lack of any feasible alternative. I've been thinking, said Tanisan, attempting to strike a casual note, I've been a bit selfish keeping that big room to myself. Perhaps it's time to give someone else a chance. Well, I must say, remarked Mrs Ish, who'd been getting ready for bed when the lights went out. That's very considerate of you. Yes, agreed Tanisan. I suppose it is. She then proceeded to stride about the room in a breezy, nonchalant fashion. I uh, thought perhaps I might offer it to Mrs Terracado. What do you think? Well, it's a lovely idea, said her friend, as she continued to remove her makeup. So, will you be mentioning all the possible murders that might have taken place there? Tanisan thought about this for a moment and shook her head. No, I don't think so, she said. I don't see any reason to trouble her with all that. It'd only ruin her enjoyment. Oh, well, in that case, said Mrs Ish, cheerfully slapping on the old cold cream, may I make one tiny suggestion? 
it might be an idea not to make this offer of yours entirely in the nude. I think she'd find that quite off-putting. Noticing for the first time that she was naked, apart from the enormous pastry on her head, Tanisan grabbed the spare bathrobe from the ensuite and put it on. Just then, there was a knock on the door. It was Mrs Harrah, the housekeeper. She'd put some nightlights out along the passageway and was now visiting the guests room by room. This happens sometimes, I'm afraid, she said, handing them a candle each. There's probably a line down, but don't worry, the power will be back on in a jiffy. As soon as she'd gone, Tanizan and Mrs Ish crept along the corridor to room two and knocked quietly on the door. After a moment, Mrs Terracado appeared, wearing one-piece thermal pyjamas. Creamy coloured with black sleeves, they had a zip down the front like a child's romper suit, and they hung very low at the crotch. I wasn't aware that emperor penguins could be found this far north, remarked Tanisan unkindly. It's one for the natural history books. Ha ha, said Mrs Terracado. They're very comfortable, actually. What do you want? So then they all piled into Mrs Terracado's room, where Tanisan then tried to suggest, in a very casual and roundabout way, that she felt guilty about hogging room four, and that it was high time that somebody else had a chance. Yet Mrs Terracado was highly suspicious, and rightly so. So let me get this straight, she said. Not only do you expect me to believe that you've had a sudden attack of conscience, which is hard enough to swallow in itself, but that you're actually willing to forego the gigantic television, the enormous bed and the beautiful garden. I don't think you fully appreciate the sheer cognitive load that such a proposition imposes she complained. It's like trying to believe five impossible things before bedtime. I'll be up all night. I just don't think that it's very fair, that's all, shrugged Tanisan. Someone else should have a go. Yes, but is what you're telling me actually true? I never know with you. Of course, said Tanisan, who did her best to look offended. Yes, but is it, though, persisted a doubtful Mrs T. With no other way of getting to the truth, Mrs Terracado turned to Mrs Ish, who had sometimes proved to be a useful shortcut. So then Mrs Ishihama, believing herself to be fully prepared for this eventuality, sat up straight and cleared her throat. There were no murders, she confidently declared, so there are no bloodstains. Brilliant, muttered Tanisan under her breath. I knew it, proclaimed a triumphant Mrs Terracado. I knew you were hiding something. And then, of course, the whole sorry story started to come out. Tanisan was so annoyed with Mrs Ishihama for giving the game away that she took her room off her as punishment. So then Mrs Ish was forced to move in with Mrs Terracado, who happened to have a spare bed in hers. Then, for a while, everything seemed to settle down again. Everything, that is, apart from the raging storm which continued to batter the building. By ten o'clock that evening, a veritable gale was blowing outside. As Tanisan lay in bed, all snug and warm beneath her duvet, or perhaps I should say Mrs Ishihama's duvet, she could hear the branches of the cedar trees scratching against the window panes like witch's fingernails. But then, just as she was dropping off, there was an almighty crashing sound somewhere above her head, which shook the entire building. Shortly afterwards, anxious voices could be heard outside in the corridor. To begin with, all Tanisan could make out was Mrs Sada talking to some man, presumably Mr Mioga, the guest upstairs. But then one by one, her friends came out of their various rooms to join them in the passageway. From what Tanisan could gather, a branch had broken off one of the surrounding cedar trees and damaged the roof. 
so there was water leaking into the upper storey. And so the plan was to move Mr Mioga downstairs into room one, currently occupied by Mrs Sekiguchi, while Mrs Sekiguchi would move into room two with Mrs Terracado and Mrs Ish. They'd make up an extra bed for her. So Tanisan decided to lie low and let them all get on with it. Indeed, she was so satisfied with the current arrangement that she soon got cosy and fell asleep. Nonetheless, not ten minutes had gone by when she was rudely awoken by an icy sensation at the end of her nose. There it was again, a sort of wet, splashy feeling. She twitched her nostrils and opened her eyes. Directly above her, there was a steady drip of rainwater coming in from the room above. And so, still half asleep, she bundled up her duvet and headed next door to where her friends were, talking a lot of nonsense to herself as she did so. In a semi-comatose attempt to find a cosy spot, Tanisan trod on hands, stood on heads and trampled across backbones, waking everyone else up in the process. There was a lot of angry grumbling, especially from Mrs Terracado, but then once they'd all had a chance to come round and take stock of the situation, it became clear that the current state of affairs was untenable. There was hardly enough space for three people in Mrs Terracado's room, let alone four. So then the question was, who was going to move and to where? As far as the where was concerned, there was only one obvious choice. Tanisan's old room. Room four. Well, I'm not moving, said Mrs Terracado, who balked at the prospect of spending the night in a room where dark deeds had taken place. And why should I? she said. This is my room. Well, I don't see what difference that makes, said Tanisan only too conscious of the fact that if this first-in-last-out rule was allowed to stand, she was the primary candidate for eviction. It's only fair that everyone should have the same chance. Well, of course you'd say that, because you're the one who lied and cheated her way into the top spot, only to have it all blow up in her silly face. Well, at least I don't arrange my toenail clippings in lines, or swan about in a stupid penguin costume, came Tanisan's swift riposte. Please, ladies, please, interjected Mrs Sekiguchi, who always ended up as peacemaker. There's no need to turn on each other at the first sign of trouble. We're not rats in a barrel, are we? Now, she said, I actually think that Tanisan might have a point in this case. To avoid any ill feeling, we need to come up with a selection process that's fair. How about a game of some sort? What about Jankin? suggested Mrs Ishihama, helpfully. This was as popular a pastime among school children in Japan as it was among their Western counterparts, where it was known as rock-paper-scissors. And so, Jankin it was. So then the ladies got themselves into a circle, as they had done when they were girls, and pumped their fists three times. Jankin pon, they all chanted, and on the final beat put out their right hands. Straight away, Tanisan lost. Three rocks to one scissors. OK, she said, shaking her arm to improve the circulation. That was just a practice. Let's go again. So they did. Jankenpong. Once more, Tanisan lost. Three papers to her rock this time. All right, she said, slightly disconcerted by this second defeat. One more practice and then we can begin in earnest. Jankenpong. For the third time, she was beaten, hands down. Three scissors to one paper. What are you doing? she said. Nothing, shrugged Mrs. Terracado. Just playing the game, claimed Mrs. Sekiguchi. As is, said Mrs. Ish. 
Well, there's something going on, said Tanisan, and I mean to get to the bottom of it. Janken Pond, she said. Once again, they all put out their hands, and once again Tanisan lost, three to one. No, no, this is not right, said Tanisan, who was starting to feel a little bit anxious. I shouldn't be losing this much. We have to change the game. I know, she said. Let's make it a knockout competition. First, we all have to play each other ten times, and whoever achieves the highest number of wins gets to choose their partner for the semi-finals. No, no, said Mrs Terracado. That's far too complicated. It'll take all night. No, it won't, countered Tanisan, as she felt the walls beginning to close in around her. Look, she said, it's simple. I start with Ishihama-san, you start with Sekiguchi-san. She then grabbed Mrs Ish roughly by the shoulders and positioned her so that they were facing each other. In the meantime, her other two friends, who were clearly unconvinced, stood about watching. OK, barked Tanisan. Janken Pong! So then she and Mrs Ish put out their hands, and straight away Tanisan lost. Again, ordered Tanisan. Janken Pong! Again, Tanisan lost. Well, I'm not going in that room, she said, backing away from her friends, and you can't make me. But this was all your idea, wasn't it? taunted Mrs Terracado. Your terms, your rules. Oh, yes, and it's all worked out very nicely for you, hasn't it? snapped Tanisan, standing there smirking in your stupid trousers. Now, now, said Mrs Sekiguchi, forever the voice of reason. There's no need to be like that. Let's all take a deep breath and just calm down. Don't tell me to calm down, yelled Tanisan, now borderline hysterical. That's what they say to people when they're trapped beneath rubble or waiting round the corner for them with a net. So the one thing that I am definitely not going to do in this situation is to calm down. Forget it. Just then, there was a knock on the door, which immediately put an end to all of this unnecessary nonsense. In the silence that followed, Mrs Terracado shot an anxious glance at her friends then hurried over to answer it. They expected it to be a complaint about the noise. A thin man with a long face was standing outside in the corridor holding a candle. It was Mr Mioga, the gentleman from next door. A kindly soul with white hair whose sole aspiration in life was to be a positive force in the world. Oh, hello, ladies, he said. Sorry to disturb, but it sounded as though someone was in distress. I wondered if I might be able to assist in any way. Tanisan, who was always first off the blocks when it came to spotting a way out of a corner, stepped up to introduce herself. Uh, Mr Mioga, is it? she said. Yes, it's all my fault, I'm afraid. I'm sorry if I woke you. They put me in room four, you see, but I'm having a hard time settling there. It's much too big for me. I'm used to a cosy place. Their gentle neighbour gave a shrug. Oh, he said, well, if that's all, I'd be happy to swap with you. There's nothing easier. Oh no, said Danisan, I couldn't possibly ask you to do that. Though it is nice to know that the art of gallantry is not entirely dead. Oh, but I insist, said the generous Mr Mioga. So after much carefully orchestrated reluctance on Tanisan's part, she finally gave in and allowed him to change rooms with her. It was merely a case of swapping over a few personal belongings, after which Tanisan was able to settle down to a quiet, slumbersome night characterised by a complete absence of murder. The following morning was bright and sunny. After breakfast, and with all differences forgotten, Tanisan and friends gathered outside the lobby to wait for the minicab that would be ferrying them out to the first day of the festival, which this year would be showcasing a new type of Okinawan gas cake. Mrs Sadder was on the doorstep to see them off. 
Once again, she was full of apologies for the night before and promised that their second evening stay would be a much more agreeable affair. Yet as soon as they'd left, Mrs. Harrow, the housekeeper, stepped up to have a word. A brief conversation followed, after which the two of them hurried along the ground floor corridor to the room at the end. On reaching the entrance to room four, the proprietor paused briefly before knocking. Are you sure he's still in there? she asked again. He might have gone out early today. Well, all I can tell you, said the housekeeper, is that he didn't appear for breakfast this morning and his car's still outside. Mrs. Sadder nodded grimly. Then, putting an ear to the door, she knocked tentatively. Hello, Mr. Mioga, she called out. Is everything all right in there? <laughs>